So yesterday, sorry, um, I was driving to Firehouse Subs down the little access road over here in Oakwood and um, started getting text messages on my phone from students, <coughs> students who normally leer at me. Uh, <coughs> The text messages were very positive, very encouraging. Dear Pastor Matthew, been thinking about all that you do and how, you know, you preach and, all, you know, and, <laughs> and we're very thankful for you and thanks for your love for us. And Pastor Matthew, uh, you know, so grateful for how you uh, talk to all of us and, you know, just very nice things. I thought, wow, you know. The Spirit of God has finally moved upon them, you know. <laughs> Not really. Um, but I did think, well, that's so nice, you know, and, and, and you know, the deep things are happening at D-Now. And then uh, I learned that this was one of many items on a scavenger hunt list uh, that they had to do. <laughs> Text something nice to Pastor Matthew. Now, there were, what, 20 students? I got three texts, y'all. Um, <laughs> Anyway, thank you guys for leading us today. Um, we are in a season where, in our family, we are looking back through old photos because our photos were lost, and um, we luck, you know, we're lucky that we had them on um, a computer. We had them on digital media, and we can go back in, uh, at least to 2006, which is when Jackson was born. And we can find our baby pictures and family pictures um, on there. And there's a sweet lady in the church who's been working on helping us reprint some of those. <clears throat> but as we look through those, these little guys, Olivia, Reese, Jackson, even the, the pictures of some of you students uh, when we first came here five years ago, uh, you're very little, you're very tiny, and and no one would ever imagine that, that there would be a time when we would be led in worship by those tiny little guys, right? Those little baby pictures and those little toddler pictures. But uh, we come to a day now when these little ones who we can look back to uh, are telling us big things, aren't they? And leading us in big ways. And I just want to say a word of thanks to our church for not being afraid uh, to invest in little lives um, and in little families uh, because already uh, we're seeing the fruit of that and have seen it for many years, but the fruit that God, uh, God intends big things. Uh, but our investment comes at a time before the fruit is really born. And so that's faithfulness, and I just appreciate that from our church. I appreciate you, church, investing this week in our student ministry and uh, the food and, and the, the air conditioning and uh, the cleaning and, and uh, the staff, all of that costs money. And uh, you have not been afraid to love these kids in that way. We're going to look today at the book of Nehemiah. If you will, turn with me to Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. If you, if you know any, where any of those are, you can find Nehemiah. Uh, it's um, toward the front of the Old Testament. Our student ministry this weekend has been really digging deep in Nehemiah, which, again, I'm proud of because you didn't take on a superficial topic, and that's to your credit, Fletcher, and 
Um, had a great speaker come in and teach through Nehemiah. If uh, learning God's word and going into those deep places of scripture, uh, of planting that in your students' lives matters to you, uh, then our student ministry will not disappoint you. Um, uh, Fletcher is an excellent teacher. Uh, he's not afraid to speak truth, and truth is what we need uh, in these days, and he does it in a way that our students engage with um, and that they're going to remember. And so um, I'm grateful to God for that and for, for your ministry, Fletcher. Nehemiah is a man who was called upon by God to build, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. God's people had been conquered, defeated by a foreign enemy and taken captive as exiles and held in that place as slaves and as workers against their will. Uh, all the while back in Jerusalem, there had been a, a remnant of people there, uh, and, and, but the rubble just, just laid there. In fact, Nehemiah talks about going to survey the wall and not even be able to fit through some places because just heap upon heap of, of rubble is in the town. And, and if you think of your hometown or maybe your home church or someplace dear to you and you see that just, I mean, just torn down, destroyed, not resembling what it once was right here in your heart, then you know the pain of that. And he's, as he walked through there, he was moved. Uh, he decided to rebuild the wall. He went to the king as, as the king's cupbearer and at great risk to himself said, oh, king, would you grant us to do this and give us letters to these people and give us letters to these folks to command that we are able to do this. And so he did go back uh, with some people and, and he decided to rebuild this wall. Uh, there were some haters in the town. Uh, there were some haters uh, inside their own Jewish circles who were just, they did not like that this was happening. They didn't like that Nehemiah was getting the credit for it, maybe. Uh, maybe they didn't like that this was not done with their permission, but with the king's permission. Maybe they wanted to be the chiefs. They didn't like it. And there were outsiders in that, in that area who came against them and literally attacked them wanted to attack them while they're doing the work to the point that Nehemiah had to gather up the people who were working and, and make arrangements where some would hold the weapons while others did the work. And there were some builders who even in one hand held a weapon and the other hand maybe a trowel or, or some type of tool, an instrument for building. It was a, 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 it was a, a tense moment, but God got them through it. And each, each situation was bathed in prayer, wasn't it, guys? I mean, Nehemiah was a praying guy. And so there they are, and, and, and the, the battle is out here, and people are bad-mouthing them, but they're persisting. People have given up much to come and do this. Many of them were farmers who left their fields, and they're, they're building the wall. Their farms are not producing, no money, no crops. In fact, they're having to borrow money from other people and just to make it by so they can be building the wall. And there's a moment of unity. It's great victory. If you can imagine the togetherness, I'll build while you've got my back. And when you go build, I'll get your back. That connectedness uh, is important. And it was, uh, I wouldn't say magical, but it was a, a very special moment when yes, yes, God's plan is moving forward. We're doing this together. There's power in this. And right in the midst of that victory moment, 
comes a threat to the whole project. And in chapter 5 of Nehemiah, we learn a little bit about that. I want to direct our message today mostly to our students, but make no mistake, this is for all of us, and I hope you can get something out of it. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax and uh, on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. There were the rich who were saying, hey, this is a great opportunity. But then there were many others who said, listen, for us to be here because of this famine, because of this work, we've had to borrow money from these rich brothers and sisters. Aren't our daughters and sons just like theirs? Aren't our children just like theirs? We've mortgaged our fields to be able to pay the king's tax. We've had to give our children into servanthood. This would be a bond slavery uh, for payment. We've had to give our children into this. It's not right. This is not right. A great cry came because of this. This is not right. We're having to do this. We're being taken advantage of. Verse 6, I was, this is Nehemiah. He writes in the first person. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? uh, They were slaves in a foreign land. Uh, They've been redeemed back home. And now, now we're doing it to each other. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, "The, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. It was not just an other people problem. Who was also doing this? Nehemiah was doing it, and his household was doing Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. And I shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. 
so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Nehemiah was entitled to this. I mean, it was an accepted thing. Uh, He's saying, I gave this up. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall. He wasn't a leader who stood far back, who told other people to do these things. He said, I also persevered in the work of this wall. And we acquired no land. We didn't get rich off of this. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. My people were there too. We're all in this together. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. What a strange little story, huh? It's a long story. I know it is. And it's a weird little story with all these details. Here's the question I want you guys to answer today. Do you want to see the work of God fulfilled in your life? Do you want to see it fulfilled? What has started here this weekend has been a powerful thing by all observances. What I'm able to gather has been a powerful weekend, but it's a beginning. Do you want to see the work of God go forward? The people of Nehemiah were working together. It was a victory moment, but it was only a beginning That moment of victory was just the beginning, and then a threat came. Do you want to see it carried through, or don't you? Adults in the room today, wherever you are in your life, do you want to see the work of God fulfilled? There are four words of readiness I want us to look at together. The first is this, prepare to fight for what matters. Prepare to fight for what matters. It was right in the moment where things were just going right as they should be going that a threat popped up, an issue, an obstacle came to be. Uh, Everything was about to fall apart uh, in this project. uh, And Nehemiah had to come in and he had to rescue things with the help of God. Are you prepared to fight for what really matters? Are you ready, guys, students, uh, to, 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 for the reality that when God plans a mighty work in you, that Satan is not far behind to bring some obstacle up. It may be a discouraging word from a, a member of your family when you get home. Well, are you religious now? Here you are, and you do feel religious. <laughs> God has done a work for, in, in your life. And you go home, and there's someone who ought to love you, who looks you in the face and wants to accuse you about it. That happened in my life as a teenager and it's deflating and it's defeating Well, you go to school on Monday morning and you're wanting to live with a new light in your life and all of a sudden people are looking at you saying what are you trying to be what are you trying to pretend here are you ready for that obstacle to come for that temptation to rise up or are you going to be able to hold on to what matters my little brother Blaine 
he's not little, but he is younger than me, uh, has three kids, and the youngest is a little girl, two boys, and then a little baby girl, and she's precious, and she was the prize of the family. I mean, just a, a little darling, cute as could be. <clears throat> Blaine just treasured her, carried her around, wouldn't let anybody else hold the baby. Emery is her name. Wouldn't let anybody else hold her. And finally, one day at my mom's house, uh, we were there, and I said, could I hold Emery? And Blaine was like, okay, you know. And so he, he handed, him, handed her to me, and uh, even though I had, had had three kids of my own and they were still living, um, he, <laughs> he was reluctant. I got Emery, and I said, I'm going to take her outside. We're gonna, so I opened the sliding glass door in the back of my mom's house. The house was not finished being built, and the steps were just kind of concrete blocks there. And I stepped down, and something happened. My knee gave out. I don't know what happened, but I know I went tumbling down, right? Uh, I mean, from, from the, way far down. I went down on the ground, uh, and the one thing I held on to was, guess what? My wallet. No, no, it was a... <laughs> It was Emory, right? I'm dead. So I, I'm laying there all just, I can't, breath knocked out of me. People are like coming. But Emory is there secure. She did not even whimper, not even shed a tear. I held on to Emory. Are you willing to hold on, guys, to what matters? I mean, listen, when you leave from here this weekend, church, if God's doing something in your life, personally, if the Lord's doing something in the life of our church some victory he's bringing. We've got to be prepared and ready that a, a tumble may be coming. Will you hold on to what God is doing? Nehemiah fought for what matters. Students, don't be taken off guard. If right when God does something spiritually significant in your life, that something arises to discourage and defeat the new thing that God wants for you. This is a part of our journey. But be aware of it, be ready for it, and be determined to fight and to cling to Jesus no matter what. Be prepared to fight for what matters when you leave this place. But secondly, beware of a life that's acceptable. I put a little asterisk by acceptable because I don't want you to get me wrong. We do want to live a life that is acceptable, that is presentable to God. Uh, but here we find a practice was going on that was perfectly acceptable. It was a legal practice. It was an established practice. People knew this happened. This is how things went. Uh, it was known to, to be normal, if you will, a perfectly acceptable thing. But it was not the right thing. It wasn't right. It was acceptable, but it was not good. It was known, but it was not holy. This was not what God wanted for them. It was the world's baseline. Yeah, sure, sure, this is fine, but it was not God's best. I want you to know that an acceptable life is not what God wants for you, for any of us. God does not want us to look around at a lost world and see what their baseline is, what the world finds acceptable, and for us to reduce ourselves to that because we can get by on it. And as Christians, it may be even easy for us to live a little bit above that and to feel a little premium of morality in our culture and it still not be where God wants us to be. It was an acceptable practice, but it was not 
right. I went on a cruise with my buddy Dale when we were in college, and his family was there with us. And you have to sit on a cruise with other people when you go in the dining room. And they were all eating uh, escargot. You know what that is. That's snails. Uh, They speak French, but they're snails. Uh, Anyway, escargot, butter and garlic, and everybody at our table all around ordered this. It was the appetizer of the night, and they brought it to us too, and um, everybody's like, you need to try it. At least least try it. At least, come on. It's it's very good. I was like, it ain't good, you know. (laughs) I know it's not good. Everybody was, it was perfectly the acceptable thing, but it was not the right thing, okay? <laughs> I feel the same way about iced coffee and skinny jeans, okay? It's, um, uh, something can be acceptable and not be right. Others will be happy with you if you lower your standards to that. Listen, they will be so happy, the people at your workplace the people at your school, where you drop the kids off at daycare, where you sit at the soccer field, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, uh, your gaming partners, they will all be so happy if you just live acceptably. You don't provide any standard or reflection back to them that they're living immorally or that there's something better or that there's a savior and that we are sinners and that there is a need of a rescue They'll be very, very much more comfortable and pleased with you and affirming of you if you just do what's acceptable. Nehemiah could have done that, couldn't he? But he didn't. He said, this is not, it is not right what you are doing. Guys, don't do it. Don't live acceptably. Beware of that life. Oh, I want so much more for you students. I want so much more for you. I, 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 please don't live a life that is just sanitized and normal and ordinary and vacant of the power of God. Nothing of it. It's just like the ones on your right. Just like the neighbors on your left. It's just like everybody else. And after all, It's perfectly acceptable. Don't let the world around you set the standard for what God wants for you. But thirdly, find courage to reject a powerful wrong. Find courage to reject a powerful wrong. Notice who it was that Nehemiah was faced with confronting here. If you look in your Bible, you'll see it wasn't powerless people. Verse 6 and 7 says this, I took counsel with myself and brought charges against who? The nobles and the officials. These were powerful voices. These were not negligible folks. These were not people who could cause you no harm. These were not people who were not vital to the rebuilding mission of God's wall. These were people who were important and their voices meant something. Nehemiah could have said, I just can't take that risk. I mean, I can't speak out against those people, the nobles and the officials. After all, they speak for everyone. He didn't think that. He, he, he went ahead and he did what was right. It was a risk. It wasn't easy. And there are some, some wrongs in our world and in our own lives that are just as powerful. 
Sometimes the, the wrongs have powerful voices. In our world, in our culture right now, listen, if you want to hear the loudest voice, if, if you want to hear the, this over-the-top persuasive voice in the culture, it is a voice of sinfulness and of wrong. These are the voices that are coming at us right now. There are voices in the culture that are powerful, that involve the government and the education system and the media. It's all around us. In your school, you will be a minority if you're going to stand with God. The voices are powerful. But sometimes these powerful wrongs come from within us. They don't belong at the feet of other people. Uh, these are not uh, to blame outside of us. It's a temptation that arises within us. Are you courageous enough to reject a powerful wrong? That temptation that you, you know, really, you just like it so much. Why give it up, right? Why do that? Nehemiah stood up against a powerful wrong. Let me show you a picture that I brought today. Uh, this is a picture of a school bus uh, in actually in Seattle, Washington, or near Seattle, Washington. This boy's name is Jeremy, who I've got circled so nicely in yellow there. The school bus driver is up here and looks like he's looking up, but really he's not. He has suffered a heart attack and is unconscious. He's dead there. Now, later on, he was revived. But in this picture, he suffered a heart attack and he's gone. Uh, his head is flopping around if you watch the video. And by this time, all the, teen, all the students on here have seen it. And right before this frame in the video, they've all been pointing. And the bus has been bouncing. It's, it's apparently gone off-road and, and, and it's, it's hitting some potholes or something is not right. You can see the whole bus shaking around. And nobody does anything. Nobody moves except for the boy circled in yellow. Where, you look at his eyes. He's looking up. He, he sees what's going wrong. And in a moment, if you could watch this with me, he jumps up. He runs up there. He shakes this driver. Uh, he, he tries to get him to wake up. And then pretty much he, he reaches over him, puts his foot on the brake. You can see the, the bus begin to slow down. He calls another boy up to take over, and he rushes and grabs a phone and calls 911. They came, they saved the bus driver, and every student on the bus uh, lived uh, after that incident. It could have been much different. Somebody took action. Somebody did something. They noticed this was very wrong, but they did not just sit there and do nothing. Do you have the courage? Will you seek the courage to reject a powerful wrong that is happening? Even when the voices are, are, are powerful, will you go against it? We need spiritual action takers, guys. That's not just for students. Men, ladies, we need spiritual action takers. Husbands, fathers, we need spiritual action takers, men with a bias in their heart to do something, to do something when it counts, when no one else will do it, will you do it? When, it, when everyone is just sitting there and that seems to be what's acceptable, the thing to do, will you jump up? Will you do something different? Our church, your student ministry, God's kingdom, this world needs men and women who are determined to stand with God when confronted with powerful voices of wrong around them, but particularly when those voices are from within. No self, 
no greed, no lust, no I won't anger, no entitlement, no selfishness, no. I'm going to be an action taker, and I'm going to confront a powerful wrong. But lastly, the last word of warning here is for us to decide to pay a personal price. I do love the end of this chapter where Nehemiah describes, and he does it at length, that this decision did not come cheap for him, did it? It came at a cost, a, a very pricely cost. He talks about all that he had to pay. He had 150 men who he had to feed because he brought them there to serve. And he said, I, I, I prepared the food for them. Here's how much I prepared for them. All the time I did this. I never took the, the thing that I was owed, the governor's allowance, if you will. I never took it. Not once did I accept this. I acquired no land. Now, as the leader of this, I could have huddled up for myself a little nugget here and some little something over there. I put something away for later. I mean, and it wouldn't have even been wrong to do. Uh, that, that's how things go. And after all, I, I deserve this. I've worked hard. He did not do it. All his servants, he brought them with him. His servants weren't serving his house or his, his priorities. They were serving the Lord. All that he had, all the chips were pressed in across the table. God, it's all yours. You take it. You do with it what you want. Are you ready to pay a personal cost? This is not something that's going to vanish into nothing. It's not something to be borne by your parents or by your church or by others. If you are going to set your feet upon the Lord as your rock, then listen, there will be moments when the cost is on your shoulders, just like it was Nehemiah. And he was able to say, listen, I have lived righteously in this. And when, when, when my principles, when my beliefs cost me out of my pocket, out of my life, guess what I did? I paid it. I did it. I decided to pay a personal price. This happened to me once. In Chattanooga, there was a restaurant downtown called the Genghis Grill. This was a Mongolian buffet. And if you think a regular buffet is nice, you should go to a Mongolian one uh, at some point. You can have a bowl. They give you a metal bowl. And anything you can fit in that bowl is the same price, right? Ten bucks, right? They got steak and the chunks of raw. You put it all in there raw. You give them the bowl. They cook it for you. So I took this as a very personal challenge. And I decided I was going to do better than anybody had ever done. I took that bowl and I mashed it with my, with my bare hands. I took that raw chicken and raw steak and just mashed it down that bowl. Vegetables came next, and I started piling them up, and they got higher, and I started shaping that thing with my hands. So they, uh, Listen, I, I built it up higher and higher and higher. And so there was the bowl, and I had everything I wanted in that bowl, up to a perfect pyramid. I took a single mushroom and put it right on top like a Christmas star, right? <clears throat> I took it up to the man who was there at the cash register, and he was not English-speaking. Uh, for the most part, he wasn't. And I showed him, gave him my bowl to cook, told him the sauces that I wanted, and he let out with a long tirade of something, right? It was not godly, I don't think. But, he, <laughs> but two words in English I did understand, extra charge, right? <laughs> in the midst of all that, extra charge. I paid the extra charge. I got surprised by that. 
It happened to me at a frozen yogurt place once too, but I won't go into that. Um, <laughs> they weigh it on a scale there. Anyway, um, the price is ours to pay. Students, if you're listening still, I know you've had a long weekend, and I know you're tired. Hear these few words. The price is ours to pay. Now, I don't mean that the Lord Jesus hasn't paid the cost of our sins. You know I'm not talking about that. What I'm, the price of obedience is ours to pay. Jesus said, if, if a man does not bear his own cross, he cannot come after me. He cannot follow me. If he does not bear the cross, if he does not count, the Bible says, if he does not count the cost. Have you counted the cost? Are you ready to make this payment? Listen, it's worth it. It's worth it to follow God. If you're thinking that you're going to live for Jesus and nothing's going to have to change, then I'm afraid you're headed for disappointment. If you think nothing's going to change, you're headed for disappointment. You're headed for failure. Following Jesus is going to cost us things that matter to us. The things that matter to us. We did a, we did a canned food drive once in high school. You had, you had in, your, in, your, in your pantry, you got macaroni and cheese, you got canned beets. Guess which one I gave to the food drive? The canned beets, right? I don't, mind, I don't mind paying some canned. I don't mind it costing me something little. Who wants canned beets anyway? When you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you the macaroni. It's going to cost you what matters to you. Be ready. Be ready to pay. This is Jesus. This is the lover of your soul from eternity past. This is the one that saw you in your sin and noticed you there detestable and loved you and took you up anyway. This is the one who's followed you through pain and watched those steps of failure. This is the God who scooped you up to nourish you when you were weak and hurting. Listen, the payment is worth it, students. The payment is worth it, men and women of Poplar Springs today. Count the cost. But for many of us, many of you students, Really, the counting is over with, right? You've counted the cost. In fact, the counting's gone on for probably too long for some of us here today. It's time to do something. If we've counted the cost, we know the cost, it's time to say to the Lord Jesus, okay, God, this is scary. I don't fully know what to expect, but I give it to you. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. It's time to do something different. It's time to be ready. Let God see this thing through. Let me pray for us. Just a moment. I'd like to offer you a time of response. We do this every week. There's nothing magic about it. There's no formula. There's no expectation that you'll do exactly one thing or exactly the other. The freedom is between your heart and the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. He is not to be trifled with. Stop it. If it's time to listen, if it's time to count, if it's time to act, maybe you would come today. Respond to this invitation. Respond to this time of worship. Respond to the word of God and come and make a decision. Maybe today for Christ for the first time. 
You need to be saved. Without salvation, there's no hope. Listen, that's just the fact of it. Without salvation, there's no hope. That bus driver, we're all going to walk the way that he did one day. We're all going to go into eternity. Without saying yes to Jesus, you have nothing to offer. You have nothing to proffer for salvation and eternal life. Come to Jesus. Maybe you need to go to the waters today. Maybe you need to recommit your life to God today. You did this a long time ago or at some point in your life, but you have, you have not been walking with him. You need to come back. Just say, Lord, I want to do this right. Whatever your decision is today, we'll be with you. Come for private prayer. Come pray with me. Come share a decision with us. We're not going to embarrass you. We know what to do. Your church will celebrate with you no matter what. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God, for its truth, and for your graciousness to trust it somehow to us. I pray that it would have made a difference today in our students, in our church, in our future, in our lives. Have your way, O Lord. Let us say yes to what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, you're welcome to respond.